You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. Welcome back to Grab Them by the Pod. Thank you once again for joining us. I am Kevin, along with Jesse. And a lot has happened in the last month and a half or so since we last gave you our opinions on politics. So, Jesse, what can we talk about tonight? Well, do you want to talk about I got a concussion? That was you know, one of the reasons why we haven't done this podcast. We all got really busy. You know, your board of education uh, you have children doing many, many things that, that you know, you're, you're a coach. You're, you're a great father and you're a coach for many of these uh, sporting events. Um, we, we've campaigned locally. Just a lot of stuff. It was a perfect storm, I would say, of uh, craziness to happen. But we figured, you know what? The election is passed. We better talk about it since we are, you know, a politically themed, a Trump themed, as it may be, podcast. A Trump themed podcast. <laughs> Grab them by the pod, as you might <laughs> yes. put two and two together. Yes. So Jesse mentioned our local experience, right? As you know, mm-hmm. we are pretty heavily involved here in our local community. I'm on the Board of Education, uh, just finished the first year of my first term. Uh, and Jesse, of course, ran for town council uh, and has served as the Democratic Town Committee vice chairman uh, for the last year almost. So we are very heavily involved in local politics. And so, you know, Jesse, why don't you... Tell the listeners what that means. <laughs> well, I would say there were probably four people that we have, you know, not counting statewide uh, or or nationally, just you know, within our own little town, our own little area, four people that we were uh, really campaigning for. We had uh, a state representative. We had two state representatives, actually, one that's most of our town, and then one that was a portion of our town, uh, a state senate, and then a judge of probate. And the election came and went, and we went two for four. Um, our good friend, one state representative, and uh, the new person that we've been working with, one uh, judge of probate, but unfortunately, uh, our mayor, uh, who was on the other side of the aisle, uh, also ran for state senator, and he won, so he'll be splitting duties. And uh, the person who is representing part of our town, uh, she lost the state representative. So uh, it, it was a bittersweet evening. Uh, everybody had put in a lot of work. Uh, we Together, we, on Saturday, walked several miles in the rain and the wind with the leaves falling down on our heads, uh, doing lit drops and knocking on doors. Uh, we saw a lot of young folks, some high school kids came out and joined us. And that was great seeing the future of America there out there doing – they can't vote, but they still want to make a difference. Yeah, as a high school civics teacher myself uh, and, and working on several – political engagement projects with my own students, and then also to see some of our local high school students in our town come out and get engaged. I mean, this what more can we ask for? This is exactly what we need to see. If we expect any change to really happen, if we expect to save this country and its democracy, we need to have those young people see their worth, see their value, and see where they can get engaged to make it better. And forget the high school kids. Your son is eight years old. He did two hours of pole standing in the middle of the day with your father. And then, again, he was out with us from five to eight o'clock on election night when it was cold. It was dark. It was rainy. But he was there. And I don't know many eight-year-olds who want to do that. But he wants, again, be part of the change and get involved in the process. And I, you know, I love the kid and I, I give him a lot of kudos. Yeah, my son's a bit of an anomaly. You don't see too many eight-year-olds who are involved on political campaigns. But, you know, he gets that bug from me. Uh, you know, growing up in, in this house, uh, 
uh, with me as his father and being a, a social studies civics teacher and, and being involved in politics for a long time. You know, he's really had uh, no other uh, experiences. He, I mean, aside from being an eight year old, he, he does get to to play and have fun. But, you know, he's really grown up around this uh, whole political life. So, you know, he, he likes it. He enjoys it. I never have pushed him towards it. He wants to be out there doing it. And, you know, uh, I, I hope that that means something positive for his own future. So let's look to the political landscape of the nation. Um, it really was much as expected. The Dems took the House. The Republicans kept the Senate. Uh, Dems made some gains in some governorships, but it could have been better there. Although they, they, it was a net gain, so good for them. What would you say, Kevin, was my reaction as the as the results started coming in, uh, especially concerning the House? Well, uh, for those of you out there in podcast land, you probably don't know that Jesse here has an addiction to his cellular device. Mm -hmm. So every little ding and buzz that went off on that phone, he was constantly checking the updates. And as the percentages, uh, what was it, 538 that you were following? Yeah, yeah. Okay, as the percentages that they had uh, showing for the likelihood that the Democrats would take back the House and Senate kept changing – Poor Jesse was just uh, he, he was in a in quite a funk in fearing that the Democrats were not going to take back anything. Uh, so he, he was quite nerved up. But eventually, as the night went on and those numbers changed for the better and, and for the positive for the Democrats, Jesse's mood changed as well. And by the end of the night, all was well with Jesse. Yeah. You know, the day after now we here we are two days after the narrative it's not quite, I think, exactly what happened because you know, the media look, looks at things, people look at things, and they start to overreact. Uh, a blue wave did come, uh, but it was just contained to the House, and that makes sense. It's the only part of this year's election where the entire country had a say in the election. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to hear it. I'm sure there are races maybe that have been called in the last half an hour that I'm not aware of or maybe called by the time you listen to this, but last we've looked – um, ABC News has reported that 224 seats have gone to the Democrats, with 201 seats going to the Republicans, and that leaves about uh, 10 that are still up in the air. A lot of them in California. Uh, Maybe a few days till we till we know really what's going on. So far, uh, Democrats have turned 30 Republican seats blue. Uh, Republicans flipped one Democrat seat. Um, if not being a math, that's 29 uh, that they've gained. But Kevin, how would you like to be this guy, jo- Joe Radinovich? Uh, he's the Democrat who lost to a Republican in 2018. He lost to Pete Stauber in Minnesota 8. Uh, that's that's going to suck for that guy. Yeah, you know, Stauber, that's a good Minnesota name. I actually, uh, I, I know somebody from Minnesota with the last name of Stauber, so I, I wonder if there's any relation. But uh, yeah, no, that's that's got to not feel too good in this, this wave of blue that took place in the House to be the one guy on the Democratic side that loses to a Republican. It was an open district, so at least he wasn't a sitting person who lost. Speaking of Minnesota, I work with a guy who has a friend. I think it's a childhood friend, but I'm not sure. But he's a friend nonetheless um, who uh, I think he overtook – I think it was Congressman Paulson, uh, and he's going to be a Democrat now representing that district. And I was talking to him, and he goes, yeah, you know, he wants to take money out of politics. And this guy, you know, he's not a billionaire, but he, he is a, like a couple hundred million in the bank. I'm like, man, how did this guy survive that $100 million? So, yes, there are rich people on all sides uh, who run for Congress. But you know what? Who has the time to give up that much of time of their life to campaign unless people have money? And it's, you know, it's they're not Thanks all money bad. to make money, right? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, the toss-ups have uh, either gone to the Dems or are too close to call. Um, but though there were a couple of districts that leaned right. Uh, I think it was New York 11, South Carolina 1, and Oklahoma 5. Uh, these leaned right, and they were won by Democrats. So, again, uh, it shows that just because it wasn't a tsunami – 
that came and they just you know wash over everything doesn't mean it's a blue wave. Uh, I think people. I was to a five thirty eight podcast today and they said. Frankly, you know, people are stupid. They don't understand the data. Uh, if you look at the data and not actually the emotions you have, you can see what a good night this was for the Democrats. Well, absolutely. I think all of us uh, that work for the Democratic side, you know, had to take a step back. And, and, and you know, in their heart of hearts, everyone wanted to see this massive backlash to Donald Trump that Democrats would just take back everything that had been lost. And the reality was, if you looked and stepped back and looked at the numbers, as you suggest that you knew the Senate was not going to go blue. And to take this many House seats and governorships and other uh, elected uh, races, it was a big deal. It was it was a great victory for the Democratic Party on Tuesday night. And sorry, we're being a little more partisan than we usually like to be. But, you know, the election just happened. It's still, uh, still raw and our emotions are out there. And, uh, you know, it means a lot to us. Um, so, of course, uh, Nancy Pelosi is going to be running to be she, – she sent letters to everybody saying she intends to run for speaker. What do you think should happen with speaker? Well, you know, Jess, I'd love some new blood in there, not going to lie. But it, it does look like Nancy Pelosi will be back uh, for another round as Speaker of the House. And maybe that's what needs to happen at this point after all that's gone on over the last two years is somebody who's been in the position before who you know can get the rank and file members in order and, and restore some of that normalcy uh, back to Congress. And we'll see if, if she's able to do that. And I can only hope that she's grooming some of the, the younger, newer members to potentially take over for her in the next few years. I really hope, we've discussed this in the past, I really hope uh, these these newer people who are you know, Democrat, socialists, whatever, um, don't, again, become like the Freedom Caucus and constantly quarrel with their own side. They have the House. They have a chamber of Congress. Uh, they can stop laws from happening. Now is not the time to fight. Come together, um, figure out what you can do to advance their agenda and, and, and hopefully right the ship in, in parts of this country, or if, if not all of it. Exactly. Uh, well, now the Senate was kind of a different story, uh, but again, it's not entirely uh, surprising. Uh, it was always really a long shot for the for the Dems to take it back. You really needed the perfect storm there again and the perfect night. And right off the bat, it wasn't going to happen. Um, this the state the state's up for uh, election or for re-election this year. Uh, there's a third of them every every two years. Um, this year, they heavily favor the Republicans. A lot of um, uh, seats that were going to project a good night for the Republicans. Uh, and you know, I think they did even better than what a lot of the polls may have uh, may have predicted. Um, as of this podcast, uh, Republicans uh, flipped three seats. Uh, they've lost one. Um, Arizona and Florida, I mean, Florida has been called kind of, but there's going to be a recount there. We'll talk about, about that in a second. In Arizona, last I looked, uh, it was still pretty close. But, you know, overall, a really good night uh, for the Republicans. Yeah, and again, it shouldn't be a surprise. And if anyone is disappointed about that, if they looked at the figures going into this election, it, it played well for the Republicans. It's That's how this round of Senate elections stacked up from the beginning. So we can't be too shocked that this happened. It last I looked, I think Rick Scott was up something like 0.4% or something over uh, the Democrat. I had incumbent Bill Nelson. Um, so I said there's going to be a recount happening there. Uh, I think Martha McSally, uh, she leads by something like 1%, percent over a Democrat uh, Kirsten Cinema. Uh, so again, who knows? But uh, we've talked about this before. This is what pisses me off. Um, the Green Party in Arizona 
got 2.2% of the vote, uh, which would have gone to cinema, which would have put her over the top. So uh, congratulations, Angela Green. I understand that she uh, withdrew before the election and supported cinema, but you're on there on the ballot, uh, and you may have cost, you likely cost uh, the Democrats a seat, which there's no reason to be running in, in this day and age as a Green Party or a libertarian or whatever, you're just going to screw over the the person you'd prefer on there. I mean, I don't mean – it's everybody's right to do it, but it just really upsets me. Right, and we, we've had that conversation uh, about whether or not third parties are viable in this country. And, you know, in my, my humble opinion, as much as it sounds undemocratic, I don't believe they are. And what I think needs to happen, we need to admit that this is a two-party system. Do we really want to turn into you know a system with you know 10 or 12 different major parties like we see some other European countries and other parts of the world where elections take even longer, there are more runoffs, you have to get a plurality? We don't necessarily want that either. Perhaps what we need is to find more moderation in the two major parties instead of being so polarized. Why, why we think the two-party system doesn't work is because we've become so polarized. If we can get back to moderation, where you can have liberal Republicans and conservative Democrats that reach across the aisle to each other to get things done, then I think we would see less of a need for some of those third parties. It really is, like, you know, we're from Connecticut, we're from New England. Uh, it, it's kind of like the height of the Yankees-Red Sox feud where you're like, screw the other team, I'm, I'm not going to admit that team's good. And that's what they are politically, that it's they're different teams you have your side they have their side and you don't want to hear anything else and again we have to move away from that because i think i think a lot of people are much more moderate than we give them credit for but it's the people at the highest levels it's the people people in the media really just promote uh you know either with us or against us and it brings people to the sides when you should be going to the middle i, I agree with you wholeheartedly there well, and if anyone watched the interview uh, on Chris Cuomo's show on CNN uh, last night, and he had Joe Manchin on at one point in his show, and and you can say what you will about the senator from West Virginia and say that he let the Democrats down in several votes, but when you listen to him speak, he really does seem genuine in the sense that he is doing his job representing the citizens of West Virginia, and he says very candidly to anyone, to uh, the Senate Majority Leader, to the leaders of his own party, that look, I will vote in what's the best interest of the people of West Virginia. And if that means I have to cross the party line, I will do it. And in reality, as frustrating as that might be for the Democrats, like that's what we need to get back to. That's what America really is. As you said, America is much more moderate than we give it credit for. And we need people in Washington that are willing to work across the aisle when it serves their constituents well. I think Joe Manchin should have a conversation with Susan Collins and uh, maybe she can start doing that a little more because, uh, as I said, said in past podcasts, a lot of times she's like uh, Charlie Brown and she's going to kick the football and then they pull away from her. She she votes Republican and uh, then she doesn't get what she was promised. So, But two years from now, the uh, Senate map looks a lot better for, for Democrats. It's kind of the inverse of this year. It's uh, a little more blue. Uh, but the question is going to be, did the Republicans win enough in this election that's going to make, even if the Democrats make gains in two years, is that not going to be enough? And that's something we're going to have to see. I mean, it's going to depend how the economy is going. It's going to depend what's up with Trump. Uh, there's going to be a lot of factors. And, uh, you know, the election is only two days old, but we're already in the next cycle and uh, we're already thinking of 2020. Well, one thing seems abundantly clear that the president's not going to tame or slow down uh, his rhetoric. It's 
Kevin, I, I want to get there. We'll, I, you know, it's not on, it's not on the uh, the rundown. But I want to talk about it very briefly in a little bit, so we'll get there. Uh, but it's, I'm already getting heartburn. I can't. I'm sure there'll be lots of that over the next two years. Um, so some notable results. Uh, that happened in the Senate. Indiana Democratic Senator Joe Donnelly lost by 10 points. Missouri Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill lost by 6 points. North Dakota Democratic Senator Heidi Heitkamp lost by 10 points. Uh, Nevada Republican Dean Heather lost by 4 points. Uh, Tennessee Republican uh, Representative, she's currently in Congress, uh, Marsha Blackburn, she won her Senate seat by 11 points. It was projected to be a little closer than that. Uh, as you mentioned, West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin uh, won re-election by 4 points. Uh, but there's really the race that got national attention um, Republican senator and um, the most hateable man in all of, the, all of Congress, really not just the Senate, uh, Ted Cruz defeated Democratic Representative Beto O'Rourke by less than three points in Texas. I know you're a big Beto supporter, or Beto supporter, if I say it correctly. Uh, what do you have? What do you think? What do you have to say about that? Well, you're right. As you said, I'm a Beto supporter and sent him some funds and, and <laughs> sent my support from uh, the Northeast. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm disappointed. But I wasn't surprised. I mean, I think it played out exactly how it was going to play out, that he was going to get close, but he was going to lose by a few percentage points based on where he is. He's in Texas. The fact that he got as close as he did, the fact that he created such a movement tells me that there are big things in his future, that if you in Texas can generate that kind of support and that kind of excitement as a Democrat, that this country over, you might be able to make some waves. Yeah, Beto's going to be just fine, I think. Uh, I think he has a bright future. And people are already throwing out there, oh, he's going to run for president in 2029. I don't know if that's uh, you know, getting ahead of things. I think he'd be a good VP candidate, so maybe he runs and then ends up dropping out and going with whoever does it. Um, we're after, I can't believe we're already talking about the next presidential election, but it's going to get you know kicked off probably what, mid, mid-time uh, sometime this year. So uh, the people, I mean, you can already see, we saw in the last few months, people making moves or, or in hearings making a stink on things so they want a nat- national, I mean, Cory Booker, I think, has been, um, you've been seeing him make some waves. Uh, Kamala Harris has been visiting Iowa. Um, people in Iowa, New Hampshire, are, have said they're, they want to meet Beto, they want to talk to him. So they're, they're open to it. Um, and you know, as many problems I have with the, with the primary process, uh, if you start off well in, in New Hampshire and Iowa, uh, you know, go on to South Carolina, who knows? Uh, you just got to get that, that good start and then you can be propelled to the top. Well, many people had likened Beto to, you know, the white Obama. <laughs> uh, you know, he kind of carries himself that way. He resembles him a little bit too, kind of tall and lanky. But I actually have been drawing more of a comparison to Abraham Lincoln. Now, hear me out. Abraham Lincoln was a one-term congressman, most famous for voting against the Mexican-American War in his time in Congress, and then left Congress several years later, ran for Senate against Stephen A. Douglas unsuccessfully okay, in Illinois, and then in 1858, and then two years later in 1860, runs for president and wins in a divided nation. Now, can you see a comparison between Mr. Beto O'Rourke? And Abraham Lincoln's favorite sport was wrestling. So I may be better to get on top of that, too. So who knows? We'll see what happens in 2020, uh, where Beto goes from here. But I, I, I know that he's only got you know, up to go. So, Well, I'm sure that's not, this will not be the last time you'll hear his name on this podcast. And 
That's a promise because we're going to keep putting this podcast out now and not, and not disappear again. But uh, onto the governor's races, uh, Democrats made gains in the governor races. Uh, but I mentioned earlier they could have done better. They won control of the governor's office uh, in Illinois, Kansas, Maine, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Wisconsin. Uh, they won here in Connecticut where we are. It was a rather close race for most of the night. But uh, Ned Lamont, after after losing, how many times did he run for Senate? Twice or just once? He ran once for Senate in 2006, losing to sitting Senator Joe Lieberman, who he had beaten in the Democratic <laughs> primary. Of course, Lieberman ran as an independent after that and went downhill from there. He ran again in 2010 uh, for governor. He ran for the nomination of the Democratic Party for governor in 2010, but lost to the current governor of Connecticut, Daniel Malloy. Well, you know, I guess you, you try hard enough and... Yeah, he's he's not hurting for funds either, so we can continue to to do this. But you know, we um, you know, I he wasn't necessarily my favorite going into this, but I think you know he's won me over in a lot of respects, and he was by far the better option uh, other than Stefanowski who's running against him. So uh, we'll see how things go here in Connecticut. Um, when it comes to all these governor races, perhaps the two biggest ones or the most the ones with the most uh, national uh, tension were in Florida. Uh, and in uh, in Georgia, we'll get to Georgia in just a little bit. In Florida, I was super surprised. This is one of the things that really kind of threw me in a tizzy when it was early in the night. I think Florida polls closed around seven o'clock, uh, and I expected that you know, Andrew Gillum was going to win. Um, he led in the polls, um, but he ended up losing. You know that does fall into the margin of error of how things were going. So again, it shouldn't have been too much of a surprise. But I think I really talked myself into the fact that he was going to win. He's the current uh, mayor of Tallahassee. Um, he lost to Ron DeSantis, who is probably most famous for having a commercial where he was teaching his child how to build a wall out of blocks and was reading like the biography of Donald Trump or something to his kid. Uh, Ron DeSantis, yeah. not a racist, but the racists think he's racist. Yes. Yeah. He does not have the temperament. If you've watched any of the – at least the clips of some of the uh, debates they had, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. And, and there may actually end up you – know, Gillum conceded, but there may end up being a recount there, too. Again, I'm not holding my breath on any of these Florida races being switched, but, you know, I guess it's not over till it's over. Um, we also had uh, Democrats defeating Republican Chris Kobach in Kansas, which is, again, I thought it was a pretty big deal, but not that surprising, again, if you look at the numbers. Uh, and fun fact about Kansas, uh, I was once in a cab that almost ran over former senator and current Kansas governor Sam Brownback. He was looking at his BlackBerry and crossing the road when he shouldn't have been. Mm. Um, you know, not that I wish anybody harm, but you know, Sam Brownback stands pretty much against everything I stand for, so I wouldn't have cried too many tears if the cab had run him over. <laughs> um, I mean, the, one of the bigger stories to come out when it comes to governor is in Wisconsin. Scott Walker. Former presidential candidate, governor of Wisconsin, Scott Walker, uh, the guy who is the, you know, the the bane of the Wisconsin unions, he lost. Yes, unions campaigned very hard against him. Uh, call it karma, paybacks, uh, something or other. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was actually recalled a few years ago and won the reelection. And actually, that I was in favor of. I'm anti-recalling a governor. I mean, you made that vote. And I think you have to live with it, unfortunately. Uh, you know, impeachment's a different story, but uh, you can't just be like, I don't like the job you're doing, so I want to recall you. I'm not, L I'm not a fan. Listen, without a recall, we would have never had the governor. The governor, man. And, uh, you know, he, he could have been worse there in California, I guess, though I'm not a Californian, so what do I know? Uh, <laughs> uh, Republicans held out of the offices in Iowa. Ohio is going to be the problem for the Democrats going forward. They have actually have made a lot of gains in the Midwest area. Uh, but Ohio, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. You know, as 
as uh, as Ohio goes to nation. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, Ohio is a big deal when it comes to presidential elections. So we're going to have to see what happens there. Uh, but on to Georgia. Um, last time I looked, uh, Republican Brian Kemp was leading Democrat Stacey Abrams 50.4% uh, to 48.7%. Um, that has probably changed by now. There's a lot of of mail-in uh, and absentee ballots and things are going through. I mean, he's basically, he's, he's resigned um, from his role as Secretary of State, but uh, she's not giving up. Kemp, you probably know him as a guy who's run a really unethical campaign. Um, some might say dirty. I'd probably be one of those people. I mean, he was in charge of the election he was running in. I don't understand how that's not a conflict of interest and how that's allowed. Right. It certainly seems as such. Now, when you are the secretary of the state who is in charge of the voter rolls and, and has the power to uh, kick people off of the voter rolls. And as you said, some potentially unethical behavior happened here. Um, there's some are saying that he and his office have withheld the number of absentee ballots mm -hmm. uh, that were cast from the Abrams campaign. They, they can't even get a figure on whether or not they're close because they can't tally things because his office isn't letting that out. And as you said, he resigned today, uh, feeling confident that you know he will be proven the victor and that he doesn't need to worry about holding on to that job as secretary of the state. So we'll see where this goes. All Abrams needs to do is prove uh, through these recounts and these absentee ballots that uh, he has less than 50 percent plus one margin uh, in the race to force a runoff. She doesn't have to prove that she beat him. She has to get within that margin to uh, force a runoff that would happen on December 4th. You know, there's a lot of politicians I disagree with. Um, I don't want them to be elected for political reasons, but this is really one case where I'm really just disgusted by the guy who ran it. I mean, being in charge, you mentioned he was in charge of the, the voter rolls. He purged a lot of people who, surprise, surprise, they all happened to be minorities. By the way, his opponent was black running in Georgia. So I wonder who who they were going to vote for. It's uh, it's just, it's it's dirty, it's wrong, and I can't believe they allowed it to happen. I, I don't I don't know. So again, we'll keep an eye on what's going on in Georgia. Uh, I'm not necessarily holding my breath, but you know things can happen. And uh, as someone said on Twitter today, uh, that's basically a 50-50 split. Georgia can possibly be now considered a swing state going forward. If the people who voted for Abrams come out and vote in the presidential election, Georgia may be up for grabs. Yeah, I mean, we so. saw earlier this year in Alabama, the state next door would elected Doug Jones uh, in that special election. The Democrat, mm. you know, if if states like Alabama and Georgia can be that close, then you're absolutely right. Things could play very differently for them in 2020. So in the end, we said this already, the numbers and not the emotions were right. Um, things turned out the way they were going to turn out. Um, the House went blue. The Senate stayed red. The majority of the country did reject Trump, um, but Trump and his supporters and all the strongholds they have in this country, they love them as much as ever. And that really is going to be where the divide comes. It's, uh, you, you know, with Trump, you're either with him or against him. And uh, if you're not a fan of Trump, you're my enemy, is how I think a lot of people look at things. Uh, and I, I don't know how it's going to play out in 2020. I have a feeling uh, it's gonna, not going to, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But uh, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see. Well, I think the important thing to focus on is the positives that come out of this election, right? The night belonged to women and minority and marginalized groups. The first two Native American uh, 
members of Congress elected, the first two Muslim females, the first mm -hmm. two African-American women elected to represent Massachusetts and Connecticut, uh, the first openly gay governor elected in Colorado. Uh, in New Mexico, uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham becomes the second ever Hispanic female governor and the first Democratic Hispanic female governor. So the, the number of people who traditionally have not been represented in our government, who you know, made a show of force and, and gained control of these seats of power that represent the true diverse nature that this country has to offer is going to prove something out here, that, that we are greater than what we see in Washington right now. Indeed. Now, now initially I was going to just talk about the, the election here, Kevin. That's all I told you about. But, you know, a couple of things happened in the last day or so that I want to just go over really briefly. I hope you'll you'll humor me with this. Um, you know, I was, I got, I got a filling filled yesterday at the dentist. My mom used to work there, uh, and her boss, the dentist is Trump, Trump, Trump. And she's an immigrant, which actually very much surprised me. So I was arguing with her, uh, after, afterwards, I'm not gonna let anybody go in my mouth with those sharp objects. And then while I'm arguing, uh, and we, we walked outside, I was talking to my parents about it and I get something popping up on my phone that says, guess what? Uh, Jeff Sessions is out at the department of justice. Um, Matthew Whitaker, who is Sessions' chief of staff, is taking over as attorney general. He'll now be heading up the Mueller investigation. Um, this is a guy who is against the Mueller investigation, has basically talked about how he can defund the Mueller investigation. What did you think, Kevin, when you first heard that news? Well, you know, I can't say I was surprised. I think we've seen this coming for a while. I might have been a little surprised at the timing, but then again, not. Because President Trump lost control of one of the houses of Congress, which now puts his presidency in much more peril, right? Because he's finally, for the first time probably ever in his life, going to be checked by some other authority. And because of that, I see panic written all over his face. His reactions yesterday were, were very chaotic, and, and it's, it's panic. And he knows that Jeff Sessions has recused himself from the Russian investigation. Uh, he knows now that with the Democrats in control of the House of Representatives, that investigations might actually stick, uh, that he felt a need to get rid of Sessions quickly and get somebody in his place that he knows or believes will uh, not hold up any of the Russia investigation and potentially try to slow it down or stop it. And uh, speaking of all this, I just happened to look on the Hill and they have an article out uh, that says Mother's team has started writing its final report. So that could be interesting to see. And I mean, Mueller's a very smart guy. It's not like this this firing of Sessions came out of the blue. So it'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, if, if anything happens, if he just, you know, goes nuclear and releases it. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see. I've heard talk that that um, Christie may be the replacement, which whatever. I, I've heard that buzz <laughs> as well. So um, the difference is that there's still some time left before the Democrats take over, and it's interesting to see what the uh, Republicans do. Jeff Flake actually tweeted out today, said, when the Senate convenes next week, Senator Coons and I will ask for unanimous consent to bring S-2644, the Special Counsel Invest Independence and Integrity Act, to the vote on the Senate floor. After the firing of the Attorney General, it is more important than ever to protect the Special Counsel. And by the way, he was fired. They want to say he resigned, but if you look at the, at the note, it's like, I am resigning at the, your request. So he basically was told to resign, which, you know, yes, it's not technically a firing, but come on, it was. 
But we all know how Trump is scared to actually, you know, pull the trigger when it comes to any of the stuff himself. He he gets very passive and wants these people to resign. Well, yeah, and you know what? We kind of have to look at this as perhaps the chickens coming home to roost for Mr. Sessions, right? You know, he left hey, Reverend Wright. <laughs> he left a pretty cush job as a senator from Alabama. Uh, to take on this role uh, in the Trump campaign and to take on the role of attorney general and to work for a man that uh, seems to have no no ethics and no sense of right and wrong. So, you know, is he getting his just desserts? Well, he said he's looking into running in 2020 for that first old Senate seat against Doug Jones. So we'll see. Um, Romney tweeted support as well. And, you know, Lindsey Graham, who once said there'd be a holy hell to pay if Trump fired Sessions, is now surprisingly okay with everything. Uh, you know, John McCain is rolling over in his grave, I swear. Um, the one last thing I want to talk about, and then we can get to Kevin's corner, I promise, uh, was this whole Jim, Jim Acosta fiasco. I sent you guys uh, videos of this yesterday. Um, Trump gave one of his classic unhinged Trump press conferences where he just babbles on and yells at people and says things that are really incoherent. And at one point, Jim Acosta, which Jim Acosta, he does like making a show about things. I'm not going to say he doesn't. um, But he asked a question that rubbed Trump the wrong way. uh, And Trump eventually said to him, I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself for having you work for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working at CNN. The way you treat Terry is horrible. And the way you treat other people are horrible. You shouldn't treat people that way, which is pretty rich coming from Donald J. Trump. Mm, sure thing. Um, but Acosta kept asking his question, uh, and some White House aide uh, kept trying to take it, uh, take the microphone out of his hands. Um, she kept reaching in, uh, and you know, he wouldn't. He kind of moved his body and, and didn't, you know, didn't want to give it up and kept asking his question. Um, later on, the White House suspended Acosta from the from the White House press corps, took his hard pass, and uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, claimed that. They will not tolerate a reporter placing his hands on a young woman just trying to do her job as a White House intern, which is utterly ridiculous. You saw the video, right? Yes, I saw the undoctored version of the video uh, in which he does not manhandle her at all, as they claim. It's she. I mean, if anything, there was light contact, no much than like brushing up against somebody. Uh, she reached into him, and she, I don't blame her. She's just doing her job and doesn't want to be embarrassed or do something wrong in front of the president of the United States. Um, I understand, but she never should have been in that position. And, and when they do make that light contact, with by the way, her reaching into him, um, he says, "Excuse me, ma'am," to her, and keeps going on like it was no big deal. And there are pictures while this is all going down of Sarah B. Sanders with a giant grin on her face, Jared Kushner with a giant grin in his face and John Kelly with his head down in his lap, you know, looking down disgusted. And, you know, the question is, people are having on the internet, you know, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. People are saying, well, either they're all happy because Trump's berating Acosta, or was this whole thing planned so they could do this to Jim Acosta? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't there's no proof of that, and I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but I certainly would have put, in, put it past them. So. Yeah. As you mentioned to the doctored version, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders later tweeted out a version of the video that was edited by InfoWars that was kind of made it look like he was chopping down on her arm a little more than he really was. Uh, and man, the White House has just gone full conspiracy. Speaking of that, and uh, you know they don't. The truth doesn't matter. As as Rudy Giuliani said, the truth is not always the truth. Uh, and this week has really just showed that. All right, what do you got for Kevin's corner? Well, Jesse, this election has proven that democracy still works. Democrats now control the House of Representatives and the president will no longer have free reign over our government. Perhaps more heartening was the level of voter turnout and the candidates elected this nation over. 
With national voter turnout around 50% in a midterm election and such a diverse group of newly elected Congress members and governors, we have much to be excited about. However, we cannot afford to rest on our laurels now. We must continue this momentum and keep up this level of engagement. Let us remember that November 2020 is but a stone's throw away. It's going to come at us like a freight train, though, not a stone. Uh, well, before we go, I think we both want to send best wishes and get a get well card to the notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who uh, had a little trip today and fractured three ribs. Stay alive. Whatever you do, please stay alive. <laughs> please do. Oh, God. All right. It's been great to be back, Kevin. It's been great to be back with all of our listeners. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We're going to hopefully get back on a more normal schedule. I know you're actually going to our nation's capital this weekend, Washington, D.C. We'll be there, Which yes. Uh, under a different uh, light than the last time I was there two years ago, right after Trump was elected. It's a very <laughs> dark pall over the city. Uh, it'll be a little more positive this time. Fantastic. Uh, remember to go, if you have an iPhone, if you listen to us on iTunes, go to iTunes and please uh, write a review. Give us five stars if you love us that much. Um, anything else would be uncivilized, I believe. Um, you can go to our website at grabthembythepod.com to find uh, everything you know about us and the podcast. And Kevin, I haven't said this in quite a long time. I'm looking forward to it. It's been fun. Later. Later.